This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Thursday, August the 25th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! When I tell us to hit the horns and go, it's kind of like my rock star moment. It's like me yelling at the crowd to get up! Get up on your feet! Throw your hands in the air! Celebrate! Coming up on the show today, a German publisher is pulling their Winnetou book series amid a heated debate on social media. People fight on social media? I've never noticed. Dawn Dickinson explains why in her preview of The Guardian this week. Personal finance columnist Aaron Broverman will be here. He's going to discuss tipping culture and the expectations that come along with it. It's also going to spawn our daily poll, but we'll get there when we do. And Stephen Scott will share a special update on Double Tap Canada and their programming this fall. Spoiler alert. If you like Double Tap Canada, you're going to more than double your fill. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is arriving in Canada today for meetings with the Prime Minister. Emily Javeski has more. Stoltenberg and the Prime Minister are scheduled to tour a military radar site in Cambridge Bay, Nunavut, marking the first time any NATO chief has visited Canada's Arctic. Senior Canadian and NATO officials say the visit is meant to highlight that the region is a security priority in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and issues related to climate change. Earlier in the week, the Prime Minister was in Toronto and Newfoundland with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, whose visit was meant to strengthen the green energy ties between the two countries. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. Let's go from geopolitics to the world of healthcare. A new survey suggests there is a significant decrease in the well-being of physicians across Canada, as many doctors report their mental health is worse than before the pandemic. They can join the club. Lori Paris takes a closer look. The Canadian Medical Association's new National Physician Health Survey indicates 53% of respondents report symptoms of burnout, including emotional exhaustion. The survey suggests a quarter of respondents are experiencing severe or moderate anxiety, and almost half are struggling with depression. The association's president, Dr. Alika Lafontaine, says the COVID-19 pandemic magnified many challenges physicians have been facing for years. He says provincial governments across Canada have had an obsession with efficiency over the last two decades, focusing on getting as many patients through the system for the lowest possible cost without prioritizing the well-being of healthcare workers. Laurie Paris, The Canadian Press. In related stories, healthcare shortages are impacting the northern regions of Canada. Services are currently reduced at many health centres across the Northwest Territories and Nunavut. Territorial officials say ongoing staffing issues have been exacerbated by the pandemic and a shrinking workforce. John Main is Nunavut's Minister of Health. My understanding is that paramedics have been able to contribute in a positive way, so that, that's been, been good. In terms of the additional incentives around friends or family being able to travel up with employees that's also been helpful you know those are examples of things that we've been able to do so far but we are realizing that these on their own are are not enough and that we do need to continue to innovate and continue to work at this dr courtney howard is a longtime emergency physician in yellowknife Many of the peripheral sites are doing their absolute best, but are having to send 
patients to Yellowknife or seek guidance more often than they otherwise would. So it's one of these sort of cascading chains of effect. The Northwest Territories government announced new incentives and initiatives intended to alleviate health care shortages earlier this month. They include financial incentives and greater use of paramedics. Let's turn to climate. While we're in the Northwest Territories, the amount of area burned by wildfires in the Northwest Territories has nearly doubled the five-year average. So far this year, 238 fires have burned nearly 4,300 square kilometers of land. Kyle Killey is the acting band manager of the Pedzike First Nation. This has been a difficult season. Like we had since July, fires been burning around our community and creating smoke and just it's very stressful on the community members. Fire crews used bulldozers this week to create a break between another fire and a potential fuel source near the community. Let's look south of the border where heavy rain and flash floods have prompted road closures, evacuations and emergency rescues across Mississippi. Reporter Trevor Ald says rain has pummeled the central and southern parts of the state for three days. A flash flood emergency issued in Jackson, Mississippi after torrential rain pounded the state with as much as a foot of rain in some areas. Flash floods cutting off roads and neighborhoods, even highways overflowing with water. Traffic forced to a standstill for hours. I was talking with my cousin who lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area last night and they dealt with some significant flooding from these storms this week as well. And What he pointed out to me is that for weeks and weeks, they've been dealing with drought. So the ground was so hard and dry that it wasn't able to absorb any of the rain as it was coming down. So it was just accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. It was the same case in Mississippi where the drought had been impacting that part of the country for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, months they'd been going through that drought. So the flash floods they encountered were just tremendous over the last few days. So these are, of course, one of the caveats that has to go with climate change. You're going to be dealing with extremes and oftentimes the adjustment that the planets will make on one extreme will make the other extreme even worse. A little pseudoscience with Dave here in the first hour of the show. While we're talking about climate and energy, there's a big conference going on in Australia right now and a U.S. special envoy for climate thinks the war in Ukraine will accelerate the shift toward renewable energy. Rick Duke says the disruption to supply are forcing countries to consider their traditional energy sources. When you look at what countries are actually doing in response, it's going to accelerate the energy transition. Uh, The European Union has tripled down on its efforts to deploy renewables and heat pumps and to electrify its vehicle fleet and otherwise respond to this crisis. So while we're talking about the electric vehicle fleet, let's get some news out of California, where regulators are set to approve a plan by the state's governor to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles in 13 years. Alex Stone has more. Two years after the plan was announced by Governor Gavin Newsom and after challenges over states' rights to set environmental standards. We will eliminate in the state of California the sales of internal combustion engines. Today, California's Air Resources Board is set to vote and make official the rule that by 2035, no more gasoline-powered vehicles can be sold here in California. And starting in 2026, limits will begin Historically, what California does environmentally with 40 million residents, a handful of other states then do the same. Alex Stone, ABC News, Los Angeles. Okay, so I just shared a bunch of stories about our rock that's floating in space that seems to be disintegrating. But let's go 
even deeper into space, shall we? From the world of science. There is no light in a black hole. You knew that. But there is sound. NASA has released audio from a black hole in the middle of the Perseus galaxy. Scientists say the black hole, more than 240 million light years from Earth, sends out pressure waves that cause ripples in the hot gas, which can be translated into a note. Now, the actual note is one that humans cannot hear. It's about 57 octaves below middle C. NASA shifted and amplified the note so it can be heard. So you want to do it? Let's listen to the sound together. Again, a reminder, that is the sound from inside a black hole. Now, there has been some sound engineering on top of it, but that's the sound inside a black hole 240 million light years away. Grace, I don't know if you still have it queued up. Can you play it again? I'm telling you, between this space telescope showing us the distant far reaches of the universe in like crystal clear HD and 4K and even showing us planets inside our solar system, the moons of Saturn clearly out there for us to look at, or just this past week, Jupiter, they were showing the storms on Jupiter that were I forget the exact number, but it was multiple times the size of Earth. These storms, these storm clouds on Jupiter. I mean, Jupiter's just like right there. It's like right around the corner. 240 million light years away, getting sound out of a black hole. We're not destroying this planet, but we're definitely looking deep out there in the rest of the world. Pretty darn cool. Let's get to the Daily Poll. At AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, we asked you, how often do you forget to use gift cards? 35% of you said never. 45% of you said sometimes. And 20% of you said always. Today's Daily Poll. We'll talk about this with Aaron Broverman a little bit later in this hour. We'll talk about how tipping is becoming a bit more common and some of the expectations that go around it. And then we'll even talk about how that relates to the disability tax and the way that people with disabilities end up having to spend more money because of services we can't get or access ourselves because of barriers. So here's the question. Do you find that more services and business businesses are asking you to tip? Yes or no? At AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Grace Caulfield, have you noticed this trend? Uh, absolutely. I have basically everywhere I go now asks me to tip them or offers like some sort of option to tip at some point in the process, whether it's on the mobile app afterwards or on the actual debit machine while I'm doing the transaction. But it's also the amount that has been mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. going insane. I was at a restaurant the other night for a happy hour getting cheaper food and drinks and the lowest tipping option on their preset options was 22%. Oh my goodness. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to tip 22%. I won't do it. It was too much for me for what the food was. That's a lot for the low end. Yeah. Right. And it was like, it was a really cheap happy hour. So I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tip 22%. 
But it's just, it's been kind of crazy and everywhere I find asks me to tip now. Mm. I will say that I, not to sort of get into this like tipping, tipping power ranking, I do tend to tip over 20%, but I definitely would not like to be told that 22% is my minimum. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's like me sort of making my tip. That's me trying to stand out from the pack. You know, right. I don't want to be told that 22 exactly. is what I have to do. I'm a 20% tipper. I do. I was actually at dinner with friends the other week and they looked at me and they were like, you're insane. Why are you tipping that much here? And I was like, that just feels it's right. Feels I don't know. Like the number, 18 yeah. to 20% feels like an okay thing. But I was like 22% to be your lowest tipping option was like, eh. Yeah. There, there was a, a, a piece, a column in the Montreal Gazette a couple weeks ago where the author, I was talking about how every time he goes to his bakery now, they're asking him for a tip. And he's like, this is a transaction. Like, I came here. I asked for the loaf of bread in the bag that is currently right next to you. You handed me the loaf of bread. Now you're asking for a tip. And, you know, it's understandable. Bakers work hard hours and bakers work their butts off in really hot kitchens. But the tipping expectation wasn't necessarily supposed to be there at a place like a bakery. That is supposed to be a transactional relationship. Exactly. And that's what, and I think we talked about this on the show before, Dave, was tipping at the Rogers Center when we go to Jay's yes, games. Yes, When all they do is they open your can for you so that you can't throw a full can of beverage <laughs> onto the field. That's the only reason they have to do it. And they still ask you for an 18% tip afterwards. Yeah, after yeah. and I tend to tip more when I'm there too. I'm like, ah, I, remember my face. I tip them every time and everybody's like, don't do that. And they like try and beat me to the no tip button. And I'm like, no, no, no don't touch I, I it. I'm going to tip them. I will not allow you to do that. No, no. I, <laughs> and listen, I think I think it's nice to develop relationships with the beer hawkers at the Jays games because yes. I want them to remember my face and be like, as we're getting close to the seventh inning stretch, as I'm running down from my seat to be like, no, 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 I need two more. You know, I don't want them to be too uh, hard and fast with that rule. I want them to be like, oh, while they're singing OK Blue Jays, we can still give Dave a little something, something. Exactly. Because I also want to sing OK Blue Jays. You know, don't make me choose. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Grace, thank you for this. Let's bring in Mike Ross on this one. Mike, have you noticed in your day-to-day operation that uh, more folks are looking for a tip? Uh, not that they're looking for a tip uh, in, in more instances because, I mean, honestly, tell me one type of uh, service uh, industry or, or store or business that you've gone into in the last several years that doesn't have a, a tip jar. Like sometimes, like I, I'm just mm, sort of stuck. When you go in somewhere and buy a burger, and there's a, a jar, and there's like it just says tips, and you kind of wonder, oh, okay, well, I mean, what's my obligation here? So, so I find myself more and more asking myself that question: What's my obligation mm. in tipping when someone delivers something to my food to my house, right? Because I don't tip the Amazon guy who brings any of those packages, but I tip the pizza guy or I tip the Chinese food guy. Um, well, they so, have access to spitting in my food, so I'm going to give them money to make sure they don't do that. <laughs> hey, Amazon has access to giving you an empty envelope like I got three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, so gonna, that can happen. That can happen too. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> no, I think, Dave, what I want to see more of is that the because we're moving to to su- such a a, uh, a a cashless society in many instances, right? So I was at a, an Argonauts football game, a CFL game, uh, just last weekend. You can order food to your seat. You pay through the app. Oh yeah. But there's nothing on the app to tip the person who's bringing you the food. Oh. So I've got in my wallet a fifty dollar bill, and I said, oh. Uh, can you give me $45 back? And the guy says, 
I've only got tens. Well, no, I'm not t- tipping you ten dollars for two bottles of pop. Like th- th- there was just there was no option there so, on the app, Mike. To that's tip. that's so weird because that feels like the opposite of so many experiences people are talking about, right? Where there where oftentimes these apps and these and these uh, payment terminals are sort of foisting the tip upon us. That, it seems weird. It's kind of the opposite there. It's like no, where is my option to tip? Well, the the terminals have it right, but yeah. in this case, you're paying directly through an app, yeah. and there is no tip yeah. option there. Weird. So I, I find that we're we're going through a bit of a weird time here as far as tipping goes between the terminals and the apps and like everybody's just got to sort of get on the same page here as far as making that tip optional and then allow me to select how much I want to pay right like I understand restaurants that have is a large group of people and you you want to impose a minimum that's been going on for many many years I get that but when I order from our preferred pizza place through their app you can either choose a preset tip or you can actually put in the exact amount you want to tip. And right. by the way, I did ask the first time I used it, I asked the delivery person, when I put in an amount there, are you getting that exact amount? Or is that just like a, you get a percentage of that? I thought that was an important question to ask too, because I don't want I don't want to tip, give the entire amount to the business to the and then find out that yeah. yeah, and then find out that the delivery person only gets like 75% what, what was of his that. answer? So, what was his answer? Yes, he does. Okay. So he says, whatever amount you put on there, that's what I get. So I felt very, I was relieved to hear that, yeah. right? Like, because there's a little bit of uncertainty once you hit send, mm-hmm. uh, it's off into the, uh, into the universe there and I, I can't get it back. So true. I was happy. I was happy to read that, but there's just a lot of, there's still a lot to learn here as we move towards more and more cashless transactions. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point, Mike. Well, we'll explore more this more with Aaron Broverman a little bit later in the hour. Mike, thank you for your thoughts on that one. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. You can find Grace Scofield on the other side of the glass with the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a 40% chance of showers late this afternoon and a high of 25 degrees. In Halifax, it's mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of drizzle early this morning and a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon with a risk of a thunder shower late this afternoon as well. And the high is 27 degrees. Over in Montreal, it's going to clear up this morning, and the high is 24 degrees. In Ottawa today, there's a mix of sun and cloud, and the high is 25 degrees. Today in Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud, becoming cloudy this afternoon, with a 60% chance of showers later this afternoon, and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, with a high of 27 degrees. In Thunder Bay, it's mainly cloudy today, with a high of 22 degrees. Over in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny, and the high is 23 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's sunny today, and the high is 29 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud later this morning, and the high is 25 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny today, and the high is 30 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, it's mainly sunny today, 
the high is 23 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, it's sunny and the high is 26 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it's sunny today and the high is 25 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. I was sending an email while Grace was telling you all about the uh, weather across the country. I was talking to Jeff Ryman about the sports report a little bit later in the hour. But Grace mentioned that 25 degrees with a mix of sun and cloud in Ottawa today. Beautiful day to start a golf tournament as the Canadian Women's Open is taking place at the Ottawa Hunt Club. So uh, very cool for the folks around Ottawa to play host to that tournament and a great day for some golf. Coming up next, German publisher... A German publisher is pulling their Win a Two book series amid a heated debate on social media. Dawn Dickinson will explain why in her preview of The Guardian this week. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's get to a preview of The Guardian this week. Of course, you can hear that entire reading program Saturdays at 12 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. But there's lots of work that goes into that show before it hits the air. And Don Dickinson is one of the producers of that show and joins us now to talk about a few of the articles that jumped out to her. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey, Dave, just one little bit of input since I've had sons that have been in the service industry uh, and Trevor was a bartender. Uh, pay your bill with your credit card and tip with cash. Ooh, I like that policy. See, Don, some of us are still a cash operation, so it's nice to have some of that quiche. Yeah, because then the cash goes straight into their pocket. Because, and you know, I heard your segment earlier and they were talking about the fact that they did get it, but sometimes they don't get it if it's on the credit card. Well, there you go. Okay, so I'm going to remind folks at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. for the uh, daily polls. We're talking about tipping today. If you found that tipping is creeping more into your life. Hey, Don, let's jump into your first article here and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about tipping. But let's talk about Ravensburger Verlag, a leading German <laughs> publisher, is pulling their latest release of Winnetou books as a debate is raging on social media. Don, before you explain to me why the pulling of the book, let's flip this around because until yesterday, I didn't know what Winnetou was. So let's start there. What? Tell me about the character of Winnetou and how long it's been around. Well, Winnetou is a character that's extremely popular. I mean, like unbelievably popular in Germany. It's a fictional Native American hero um, who made his debut in, are you ready for this date, 1875. Wow. So uh, around a long, long time, and I even hesitate to say this, but even Hitler was a fan. Oof, okay, all right. So, Don, I can already sense maybe why some flags might be going up here, but why did the publisher of these children's books withdraw the character from the lineup? Well, it was announced that they were withdrawing the books, um, that obviously, you know, it was a shock to many people because of the popularity, but they were saying that they were facing accusations of racism and cultural appropriation. Um, now, eh, there's, a, there's a lot to be uh, spoken about in this particular article, but basically the bookshops have reported that they've stopped or uh, they stopped from ordering the books um, from the publishers, and they've also appeared to have been pulled from Amazon as well. 
what kind of response? I mean, I can see why, again, these kinds of topics really light up social media from a lot of different perspectives. What has some of the response been like here since the publisher came out with this news and their explanation? Well, as I said, the publisher said that it was reacting to many, many negative comments regarding the particular um, uh, book. Oh, there's your graphic there showing one of the covers of the book of this um, Indian brave. Uh, In this particular case, a heated debate on social media is really uh, kind of taking both sides because, uh, you know, obviously there's the racism and many are saying that it's colonialism and promoting, um, you know, uh, a negative uh, connotation of of, uh, Indigenous peoples and whatnot. Other people are saying, you know, like, can we take a break here? Because (laughs) can we take a breather? Because, you know, this is a beloved story. Um, It's it reminded me very much of Huck Finn, you know, when we we, when there was the big controversy Mm -hmm. over that and whatnot. I mean, are are you going to erase all of that and, and not? allow people to know that that type of of a book was published in the past um so you know there there's um there's arguments on both sides there is uh yeah i don't want to wander too deep into the cancel culture cave because Mm -hmm. there's no winners once you enter the cancel culture cave uh whether people are making very just and valid uh, points about morality and ethics and appropriation and depiction of various cultures that perhaps Uh, White folks didn't have really the right to create. I do understand there's some other flip sides about what is the what what is what what constitutes um, art and what what leeway we give artists. So, Don, I don't want to walk too deep into the cancel culture cave, but I can definitely see why this one uh, raised a lot of ire on uh, all over social media. And sometimes if you're a publisher, you say, you know what? I don't want that ire at all. I'd rather our name be not in people's mouths. And it's just as easy to reimagine or rethink what we're going to do and just keep making other children's books and maybe just put this one to rest. Yes, true. But the, the one of the good points was that, you know, this particular character was always seen in an extremely positive light. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, some people are saying, well, why take that away? Yeah. Okay. I I am going to wander into the cave. I am going to wander into the (laughs) cave. uh, Sometimes people think of the no longer selling of books and equate that as the burning of books. And that's not the case, right? Just because someone has stopped selling a book or it's no longer available on Amazon or uh, or, or a bookstore, that doesn't mean people are going into your houses and taking the book and burning the book either. So let, let's be clear. It's not erasing the, it's not erasing the story that already exists. It's simply saying that perhaps we need to rethink the way we're commercializing the sales. So again, I, I think we've wandered deep enough into the cancel culture cave. <laughs> we've probably offended people and I think it's probably best just to move on <laughs> to something that is not controversial at all, inquiries into COVID-19. So let me, I'm I'm going to read the intro here, Don. Uh, the early outlay of public funds is suggesting the UK-wide inquiry into the response to the COVID-19 pandemic will be one of the most expensive public inquiries ever. Um, inquiry hasn't even started yet. What kind of numbers yeah. are we talking about here? Oh, this, uh, you know, I read this story and I, I was just outraged. Bills for the COVID-19 public inquiry have already hit 85 85- million pounds 
despite hearings not starting until next year after the government hired top, top legal and public relations firms. Departments making key decisions during the pandemic have hired leading law firms and multi-million pound contracts alongside specialist firms tasked with sifting through millions of sensitive documents and emails for disclosure. So it's going to be very expensive. So as I, uh, I, you sent us these articles, I ended up reading through it because I was, I was interested to sort of see what's going on in the UK because we're always so interested in what's going on in regards to Canadian inquiries. I don't oftentimes follow the UK inquiries. Don, my jaw hit the floor when I saw where some yeah. of this money is already gone. Uh, lay out some of these examples. Okay, uh, so as current ministers prepare to face intense scrutiny, you got to remember that these guys don't want to look bad, right? So they've uh, taken on all sorts of um, uh, lawyers and PR companies, the Department of Health and Social Care, uh, which oversaw the controversial policies regarding admissions of potentially infected hospital patients into care homes, has hired Pinsett Masons on a 2.2 million pound, these are pounds, Dave, legal services contract. Uh, the cabinet office has hired the same firm on a 7 million pound contract. And it has also hired Burgess Salmon, another law firm on a 9.8, which let's say, let's round that up to just 10. Yeah, let's call it 10. Uh, 10 million pound legal services contract. So um, these are astronomical figures because obviously these ministers uh, don't want to look bad and they want the best representation from the best firms and those firms are going to cost a fortune. <laughs> uh, Don, we'll get to what the families of people who lost uh, family members to COVID are saying about this in a second. I think I have a strong sense of what they're saying. But there's something utterly preposterous about government, public institutions, hiring private institutions when they have government lawyers. They have people in-house who can give this legal advice and they have people who are on the public payroll who can do PR for them. Don, it blows me away that any kind of public figure can spend at this point nearly 20 million pounds on legal and PR advice for a public inquiry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. And and some of that <laughs> some of that's going to be passed on to the taxpayer as well, obviously. Uh, it it speaks it speaks to the fact that they may not have the confidence in their own people, right? Yeah. If they're going to if they're going to go outside of the government to hire these top firms. What are people uh who lost a family member to COVID saying about uh, this early spending before the inquiries even begun? Well, basically they're in the same situation as you and I, Dave. They're just the, the, the um, bereaved families for justice group, which is the name of the uh, association says that basically if they're going to spend this kind of eye watering was the, was the adjective they used, expensive lawyers and PR firms just to protect their reputations, then their inquiry inquiry, uh, would be basically a shocking waste of time. Why not give that money? You know, it, I, I, I suppose there has to be some sort of inquiry because there oh, has course. to be some of sort course. of blame. Absol oh, absolutely, there needs to be an inquiry. But you shouldn't be hiring outside firms no. to, to give people legal advice about what they can say at the public inquiry. The point of a public inquiry is to be honest so we can learn lessons from our mistakes. 
Yes, precisely. You know, and I mean, that kind of money, as you said, that 20 million pounds, you know, outrageous amount of money, it could be funneled back once the inquiry is 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 complete it could be funneled back to these particular um this group for for bereaved families you know which would make a great deal more sense but you know what dave it ain't gonna happen yeah, or... i mean you, you you know that these politicians are gonna get their way because Basically, they're defending their reputations, yeah. right? Or it could be reinvested in the National Health Service. You know, you could train ah. more nurses and hire more doctors and build new hospitals. You know, you could do that yeah, too. there's a thought. <laughs> I mean, I, I just crazy Dave Brown here. Crazy Dave Brown consulting. Hey, uh, Don, let's uh, finish where we started. Back to the tipping. At AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook for the Daily Poll. You gave some great advice there, Don, that came from your family members who said, hey, if you're tipping, maybe uh, give the server or the bartender some cash instead of using the credit card to punch that tip in. I'm curious, Don, though, have you noticed in your day-to-day life more what they call tip creep, more businesses and services looking for a tip, yes or no? Oh, absolutely, Dave. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. Every, every, everywhere you go, it's, it's, it's even just, uh, I, I was in my uh, local, I was the same situation that I think, um, um, uh, Mike mentioned, I was in my bakery the other day and all I was doing was picking up six bagels, you know? And and there's a tip option. I, yeah. I mean, come on, yeah. like really, this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, I don't mind tipping if the service has been excellent, right? Yeah. But let's face it, I'm not going to tip just because somebody's doing their job. A, a little bit, a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking to Stephen Scott, and Stephen's out there in Scotland, and we know there's just a totally different culture when it comes to tipping in Europe. It's it's just different. And one of the arguments that I do understand is that people are underpaid for the work that they do. I, I'm not going to argue that wages have been too low for too long, pretty much since the Great Recession. Wages have not moved appropriately with the rest of the cost of living. That that's like that is undisputable. That's that's the reality. But the fact is is we can't just expect tipping to be the way to, to solve a structural problem. So Yeah, I mean, you, employers use that. The, uh, you know, m- my stepson got that line that, oh, well, we're paying you this, but you'll make it up in tips. Yeah. Well, you know, how long are you going to let them use that ex- excuse? That's right. That's right. It, it, kindness is not policy. I don't know how many times I've said that on air this week. In fact, I may have to put a moratorium on that expression. But kindness is not policy. Kindness is a wonderful thing. It's a virtue. It's one of the best virtues, but it's not policy. It's not a replacement for policy. No. Don, you're the best. Thank you for this. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Take care. That's Don Dickinson, the producer of The Guardian this week, which you can find Saturdays, 12 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Mike Ross has the big business story of the day, but first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minutes. North American stock markets were largely flat Wednesday, as investors await Friday's meeting of the U.S. Federal Reserve. The S&P TSX Composite Index was up 36 points at 20,021. In New York, the Dow Jones was up 60 points at 32,969. In Japan, the Nikkei climbed 166 points to close at 28,479. And our dollars trading overseas this morning at 77.42 cents U.S., up from 77.02 cents Wednesday. 
The chairman behind one of the biggest proposed green hydrogen projects in Atlantic Canada says it's feasible to start exporting small shipments of Canadian-made hydrogen to Europe within three years. But World Energy G2 Consortium Director John Risley says it will only happen if everyone involved moves quickly. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Joveski. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We'll get to Mike's big business story of the day in just a moment. But first, I have your accessibility story roundup. This one coming to you from the International Blind Sports Federation website. The countdown is on to the 2023 IBSA World Games in Birmingham, England from August 18th to 27th of 2023. Over 1,250 athletes will compete in 11 different sports. You'll have some blind football, otherwise known as blind soccer. We'll have competitions in all three of their different categories. We'll have goalball, judo, powerlifting, 10-pin bowling, and for those of you who want to keep it a little more chill, chess. This, the events are staged every four years, and the IBSA World Games are the pinnacle of the international calendar outside of the Paralympic Games, with three Paralympic and eight non-Paralympic sports for the athletes. Now, it's the highest level they can compete in if it's a non-Paralympic sport. In fact, several of these sports that are going to be at this event, like judo, for example, will serve as a Paralympic qualifier ahead of the 2024 Paris Games. So the countdown is on, folks. We are one year away from a big-time event in Birmingham, England, which I just played host to the uh, Pan Am Games. We didn't talk about it too, too much on the, uh, on the show as they were happening, but it was really neat. A lot of the Parapan Am stuff was happening at the exact same time. So not Pan Am. What am I saying, Pan Am? Um, Commonwealth Games. Pff, Dave, get it right. Get it right. Anyway, uh, Commonwealth Games were going on in Birmingham, and it was really neat. A lot of the Parasports were happening at the exact same time as the rest of the Commonwealth Games. It was pretty cool. I, I liked that. It was all kind of integrated under one roof. It wasn't this, here's the Olympics and here's the Paralympics. It's like, no, the athletes are athletes and we get to integrate. I like that. Good stuff. Okay, before we get to Mike, I've also got a couple of news stories for you. U.S. President Joe Biden is forgiving the student loan debts of 40 million American students. Biden is erasing $10,000 in U.S. federal student loan death debt debt for those with incomes below $125,000 a year or a household that earns less than $250,000. He says he's doing it to allow students to remove the load on their back that is preventing them from moving forward. But over time, that ticket has become too expensive for too many Americans. All, all this means is the entire, an entire generation is now saddled with unsustainable debt in exchange for an attempt, at least, at a college degree. The burden is so heavy that even if you graduate, you may not have access to the middle-class life that the college degree once provided. The policy has already become an, a midterm election issue. Chuck Sievertson rounds up some of the reaction from Florida. Backing the Biden plan, Florida Congressman Charlie Crist, Democratic candidate for governor, telling ABC News. He's just announced reducing the price of a college education. Everybody should be able to afford a college education. Incumbent Republican Governor Ron DeSantis at a Tampa rally Wednesday night. There's many other people who took out loans and paid them off. 
So don't you feel like a sucker now that Biden's coming to do this? The plan gives ten to $20,000 to borrowers making under $125,000 a year. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. Let's go from one story about money to Mike's big business story of the day. Mike, yesterday we were talking about bank profits. Well, it looks like there's some other key indicators going out. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Uh, Digging into uh, the story a little bit uh, over the last 24 hours, uh, Canada's banks are kind of hinting at the fact that there may be an economic slowdown. Now, this is nothing new. We've been hearing about this for a while, certainly from the Bank of Canada. But now we're actually seeing this play out in the numbers that banks reported when they issued their report on their last quarterly earnings. So what we're seeing is there has been an increase in the amount of money that banks are putting into a reserve. And those reserves are put aside to cover off the costs of uh, those delinquent accounts, right? People who take out loans or corporations that take out loans that then default on those loans. Well, the bank's got to recoup the losses somewhere, somehow. And what they do is uh, through their profits, they take part of that money and put it into reserves and that covers off the losses. They've, They've always got that kind of money on hand. However, When you are in an economic downturn, the expectation is there are going to be more people and more corporations defaulting on those loans. So the banks then need to up the amount that they have in those reserves. And what the banks are reporting right now is that, yes, they have started sort of creeping up a little bit on the amount that they're putting in reserves that they're putting aside. Uh, Think of it as the rainy day fund to cover losses uh, on loans uh, in in really recession times, down economic times. So it's just an indicator where banks are saying, listen, we don't have a crystal ball. We really can't predict. No, no one can predict. You you can look at numbers and metrics and have a bit of an idea based on history. But right now, banks are looking at this and saying, we have strong employment, yet rising inflation. We have uh, you know crazy uh, you know inflation numbers. We have crazy numbers with the Canadian dollar. It's up. It's down. Gas prices up, down, mostly up. Uh, grain prices. We've got a war in Ukraine, which uh, which is impacting the world's economy. So many factors right now pressuring the economy worldwide. So banks just don't know what is going to happen in the next little while. Will there be a recession? Will there not? And so what they're saying is we're sort of just playing it safe and upping how much we're going to put aside here uh, in case there is that recession. Always easy to play it safe when you have billions of dollars in profits. Mike, thank you for this. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) By the way, here's my tip jar. Uh, if you want to leave a tip after that great business report, please feel free right here. I, I, tip jar. I still I still owe you a lunch from a bet in 2020. So uh, <laughs> I'm still I'll, watching on that one. I'll cover the tip. OK, great. That's Mike Ross right. with the big business story of the day coming up after the break. We bring in personal finance columnist Aaron Broverman. We'll talk about that tip jar and tipping culture. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As we've been talking about the entire first hour of the show, tipping is everywhere. And I'm asking you, when do you tip someone? With new digital payment terminals being rolled out, more places are giving you the option to tip, and even more transactional places like bakeries or convenience stores. And 
you don't need to, to have a PhD in mathematics to know that tipping can really add up a dollar here, a dollar there. It impacts the bottom line. So let's bring in personal finance columnist Aaron Broverman for his thoughts on this one. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Hey, Dave. It's uh, nice to be here, and I really want to talk about tipping with you. It feels like it's one that definitely gets people's feathers ruffled, no matter how you talk about it. I, I laid it out in the intro, but have you noticed that more places are looking for a tip? Absolutely. Like, we're not just talking about your bartender or your server anymore. We're seeing tipping happen uh, at other places like your Starbucks, your Subway, uh, filling up your propane tank. Even at the mechanics, uh, they're asking for a tip. Uh, This is a phenomenon known as tip creep, and it seems to have taken hold uh, after the pandemic as uh, businesses try to uh, either uh, raise wages for their staff uh, without actually raising wages or just uh, recover some of their bottom line from Mm. the pandemic. Aaron, beyond more places looking for a tip, are expectations changing around what's the appropriate amount to tip? Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned those those pin pads. Well, merchants can program those to uh, create a tip option. And it used to be that uh, tips were between like 15% to 25%. But these days, I've been handed a pin pad and we're seeing tips of 18% to 30%. And uh, Simon Peck at the University of Victoria, uh, he studies sustainability and organization theory, says that this is something called choice architecture. So when you're given a choice of higher tip amounts, you think it's more appropriate to tip higher. So it might be annoying to you, but we're still inclined to do it, to press that 18% or 30%. Even when you buy things at Uber and you have to tip in those places, it defaults to 18% instead of 15 and you have to go back to select 15 if, if you're not careful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're even seeing some uh, literature out there, some articles of people saying, now there's even little smiley faces or pictograms next to the kind of tip that you're giving. It's like, so if you give 15%, it says, ooh, you know, that's just okay. So all of a sudden, these, these machines are messing with our psychology too. Aaron, I'm curious about the nature of a kind of service. And maybe this is a little more of a personal question than an academic question, but does the nature and type of service influence the amount that someone one may tip like does a barista get a different amount than a barber yeah i i think so because usually you want to tip somebody where um the expectations are beyond the owner of the business's control so the owner may not know how a server is performing at a restaurant but you certainly do So it's good for you to be able to evaluate their service and be able to tip as opposed to when you're dealing with the counter directly and there isn't that intermediary interaction in the same way. In fact, the the owner and the business, uh, they might be serving you there directly. Um, and sometimes even you don't even know where your tip is going at both of these places because sometimes there's a house cut even at a restaurant. So it's important to ask 
Uh, where is my tip going if you're if you're unsure? Mm. Aaron, there's an important disability slant to this because we know there are certain barriers that a disability may create in terms of accessing services or being able to conduct a service on our own. So what are some examples of this? And tell me a little bit more about the disability tax. So some, yeah, people call this the disability tax, especially disability activists to sort of raise awareness at the increased cost of having a disability because of increasing medical needs, because of uh, barriers that are put in our way. Um, For me, it's as simple as having to use Uber more often mm-hmm. to to get around because I, I don't drive as a person with a disability and and you can drive as a person with a disability, but uh, they make it more complicated and more expensive than it would be for the average person. Even something as simple as building IKEA furniture, I can't build those uh, pieces myself and I don't always have someone available to build it for me from my family. So I automatically always have to hire those Ikea furniture building services and those places charge a pretty penny on top of the purchase price of the actual furniture that you've bought. So for me, I find that I'm tipping more often for more services. Uh, Even with Uber, not all places have Uber Assist, but sometimes I need help from the driver to get my bags to the door, and I kind of feel social pressure to tip them a little more Mm. than a non-disabled person might who doesn't need the same sorts of help that I do. Aaron, I have to apologize for the Captain Obvious nature of this question, but I I think you probably know what I'm mining for here when I say, how would this end up impacting someone's finances as those tips for services add up, Um, especially for those people with disabilities who are on fixed incomes? Well, yeah, think about how the price of goods has risen anyway um, because of inflation. And then on top of that, you're adding a tip. You're basically allowing the business to uh, cover their um, employees' increased expenses through inflation by raising their wages, but they're not actually giving them a living wage. They're relying on the customer to tip and give them that little bit extra. So I think instead of you know, tipping all the time everywhere. Of course, tipping is appropriate some places, and we should definitely tip for good service. But mm-hmm. I think we should advocate for, um, you know, s- small businesses to give their employees a living wage and not always expect that uh, they're going to recover some of that uh, monetary uh, gain that they've lost. Um, just because, you know, the customer is tipping. Like, I don't want to tip a corporation like Subway or Starbucks when I know that they could cover it themselves if they wanted to. Aaron, I've said it a million times this week. I was just saying in the last segment, I'm probably going to have to put a moratorium on this expression, but kindness is not a replacement for good policy. Expecting kindness from customers is not a replacement for paying employees a living wage. And now I'm going to stop using that expression this week. I'm putting a moratorium. I may even put a month-long moratorium on me using that expression. I I don't know if I can hold myself to that. Aaron, I want to finish here and circle back to something broader. Um, There's more preemptive tips than ever before. Services like Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes, where you're giving your tip almost even before you're completing a transaction. How do you feel about that? How does that change the landscape? I mean, 
even let's not even just talk about the tip because you have to pay the service fees. And if you don't want to pay the service fees, you have to get their Uber pass or their subscription services to cover the fees for you. So you're, you're paying anyway, even before you tip, even if you're tipping in advance. So I would caution people to uh, be careful of their use of those services. Of course, as we talked about, people with disabilities might have to use them more often. But when you're talking about things like food delivery through Uber Eats and that sort of thing, try not to, to use them. Try to see if you can get delivery uh, directly from the restaurant sometimes or limit your use mm. of, of these services if you can. Aaron, we got to get out of here, but thank you for this. Thank you for your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I hope uh, we can tip towards good service in the future. <laughs> Amen to that. Aaron Broverman is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Coming up after the break, it's the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Thursday, August the 25th, 2022. Another month nearing its end. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Stephen Scott will be here. He's got a special update on the Double Tap Canada and their programming for the fall. Here, He's going to do a bit of a fantasy football preview. Me and Jeff, a couple fantasy heads. We're going to cut it up. We'll also have some details about a contest where you can win some kitchen goodies to celebrate season two of Dish with Mail. National news stories to share with you. It was a very busy day on Parliament Hill yesterday. Let's start with the inquiry into the 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky faced questions about why the police force did not move more swiftly to implement recommendations for reform. Lucky apologized for the lack of urgency. I want to apologize for the RCMP, but in in such a way that we weren't what you expected us to be, and I don't think we were what you wanted us to be or what you needed us to be. And I wish that we could have been more, and we could have been different, and we we could have predicted, and, and we could have had more hindsight. We could have had a lot of things. Lucky reflected on how the shooting impacted trust in the force. I think that before this incident, I think Nova Scotians had trust in their RCMP. I think they believed in their RCMP, and this incident has shattered that trust for many. But my message is, I hope that one day in your heart, you can find yourself to find some trust. Elsewhere on Parliament Hill, nominee Michelle Abonsawin says her life experience will serve her well on the Supreme Court. Abonsawin told MPs and senators during a special parliamentary hearing that she also brings significant experience in mental health and Indigenous law. I'm a tell-it-as-it-is person. I don't sugarcoat things. And uh, I've really learned that from my roots, how it's important to be uh, honest and uh, to be compassionate and to love others how we want to be loved. Obonsoin discussed how she hopes people will perceive her work. I hope that they'll say I'm a hard worker, I'm approachable, I'm sympathetic, and I'm a good listener. And hopefully they'll say I make sound decisions. (laughs) 
The committee hearing was Obonsuin's first public appearance since her nomination to the Supreme Court last week. Justice Minister David Lametti says this is a historic moment for the country's high courts. It is extremely important that Indigenous peoples be able to see themselves in what are, quite frankly, colonial institutions and see their participation as a way of making those institutions better and see this as a way of making Canadian law better. Let's bring in Mike Ross. Mike has the regional news update. Thank you, Dave. We'll begin in British Columbia. The B.C. Health Ministry and General Practices Services Committee are tossing family doctors a $118 million lifeline to help hold them over until a new pay model comes out this fall. The president of Doctors of B.C., Dr. Remnik Dosange, says the goal is to keep clinics open and help support burnt-out physicians with rising overhead costs. Health Minister Adrian Dix says family doctors who have their own practices or work at walk-in clinics are eligible for an average $25,000 each. Physicians who are paid direct salaries and don't pay any overhead won't qualify. To the prairies, five Manitobans, including a pastor who openly defied COVID-19 restrictions, have been convicted of repeatedly violating pandemic public health orders and are to learn their sentence today. Tobias Thiessen, Patrick Allard, Todd McDougall, Sharon Vickner and Gerald Bohemier admitted to breaking limits on outdoor public gatherings that were in place over several months in 2020 and 2021. Provincial Court Judge Victoria Cornick convicted the five yesterday based on a statement of facts agreed to by their lawyers. The Crown is seeking fines of between $18,000 and $42,000 for each person, depending on the number of offenses, plus court costs and surcharges. The Okanese First Nation in Saskatchewan says it's entered into an agreement with the federal government to control its child and family welfare service on and off reserve. In 2019, the federal government passed Bill C-92, which ensured Indigenous communities may transition towards exercising partial or full jurisdiction over child and family services. The law came into effect at the start of 2020. Chief Richard Stonechild says the move will give his community the opportunity to connect children back to their nation. To Ontario, researchers alarmed by a rise in the number of children hospitalized for accidental cannabis poisonings are calling for greater restrictions on edibles. A study published in a prominent medical journal on Wednesday found cases among children younger than 10 rose sixfold between 2015 and last September. Lead author and Ottawa-based family physician Dr. Daniel Myron says those rates saw a noticeable bump in Ontario, Alberta and BC after edibles were greenlit for sale in 2020. However, they stayed the same in Quebec, where they are not approved. He says that suggests the move to legalize edibles has increased the health risks to children, even though provinces limit the potency, packaging, and access to the products. And to the Atlantic region, Nova Scotia's Justice Minister is contradicting testimony by senior Mounties at the inquiry into the 2020 mass shooting that his province chronically underfunds the RCMP for policing services. 
Brad John says the problem within the RCMP that are surfacing at the inquiry represent, quote, an internal issue in the force and do not involve the province. Jones told reporters yesterday that any time the RCMP has come forward with concerns around resourcing, the province has stepped up. This week, retired commander of the Nova Scotia RCMP, Lee Bergman, and Commissioner Brenda Lucky told the inquiry that the force will require more resources because the costs of policing continue to rise. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll talk to you tomorrow, sir. Have a great day. Thank you, Dave. You too. That is Mike Ross. Let's bring in Jeff Ryman to chat about sports. Jeff, we've been rubbing our hands together all week to talk about this one. It is indeed fantasy football season. Jeff, I, I there's a lot of places we can start this conversation, but I think it's worth noting there could be some folks watching the show today or listening to the show today who've never played fantasy football before, who maybe don't even care about football. Maybe we can tickle their taste buds a teensy bit on why we enjoy playing I personally am in too many leagues. I'm in five leagues. It's too many. It's too overwhelming, but whatever. We'll move on from that. I love it. It's been a great way to connect with a lot of my friends who live all across the country, all across the continent, all around the world, and even make some new friends along the way too, sort of friends of friends joining leagues. So I found it to be a really great way to connect with people, regardless of my overall enjoyment of football. What about you? Yeah, definitely the social aspect. Um, If you're with family or friends or meeting new people that you're playing in a league with, it's always fun. And it's always fun to uh, have a little smack talk uh, in there as well. Um, And I also feel like even if you aren't a fan of a particular sport, it gets you really into it. Like you become like an insider on players or teams that you probably wouldn't be watching anyways like for instance if you're living here on the east coast maybe you have half your team that's playing on the west side and all of a sudden (laughs) you're watching a ton of games of of teams on the west coast it just gets you into it um it's fun and it's a very good social interaction and like i said with family and friends it's really good and they you know there could be money on the line as well too there could be a dollar or two yeah there could be a a couple of bucks yeah there could be a shekel or two available i feel bad for anybody who lives on the east coast and is staying up late to watch the seattle seahawks on the west coast the other thing that makes i think football maybe a little more accessible as a fantasy sport than say hockey or basketball or baseball is there's not necessarily as much of a time obligation really and truly you can sort of focus on your team one or two days a week you may not win your league if you're only focusing on your team one or two days a week but really other than waivers and setting your lineup on Sundays it's it's pretty easy to just be liquid and be water and just go with the flow and enjoy yourself so whereas in baseball and basketball and hockey there's an expectation every day you've got to set your lineup every yeah. day you've got to work the waiver wires it, it it's just a little bit easier to play from a casual perspective so yeah definitely as we're having this conversation I, I would like to encourage people if you have friends who are in a league if they're looking for a member this time of year or you want to start one or you just want to dip your toe in the water there's a lot of really neat opportunities we've talked about the accessibility on a couple of these apps over the years uh, i know our friend nick d'ambrosio nikki pools will oftentimes tell you the yahoo platform is really well designed from an accessibility perspective in fact we've had one of the designers from verizon talking about the work that she's done uh Kasaya timmons i believe was her name uh doing a lot of that work inside 
in, inside Verizon and inside the Yahoo app to ensure that it's more accessible and inclusive. So there's there's a lot of work being done with Yahoo. Uh, I'm not going to name the ones that uh, do it poorly. <laughs> ESPN. Um, but, you know, we just uh, we'll, we'll move forward and actually start talking about some of the fun here, Jeff. You have a piece of advice, Jeff that I think is fundamental for anybody, whether an expert yeah. or a novice, when it comes to fantasy football. Lay it on me. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different things for fantasy 101. If you're new to the fantasy world, the first thing that I would encourage you to do is check your league and check your league settings. I mean, I'm talking about how many teams there are, what the points are like. Is it a points per reception league, also known as a PPR league? Or is it standard? Because if that is the case, define uh, might... P- Jeff. Stop. Define PPR. Yeah. Um, uh, points per reception. There you go. Um, so, so for a wide receiver who makes one catch, no matter what the yardage is, you get one point per reception. So that could value those wide receivers a lot more than maybe some running backs. So you might want to keep that in mind. Maybe you have a two quarterback league. And if oh, that's yeah. the case, mm. maybe you want to draft quarterbacks a little bit higher than you typically would. Um, so my first piece of information for basically anybody, especially for those beginners, or if you're joining a new league, just make sure what those league settings are like. Yeah, the commissioner of my cousin league, i.e. me, uh, gives fractional points for punt return yards because I feel punt return yards are an important part of the game, and those players should deserve a little love for when and, they're returning and punts. And there could be bonuses too. You know, if, say if your running back hits 100 yards, maybe you get an extra couple bonus points there. So, you know, there could be some sneaky settings in yeah. there as well. Yeah. Not crazy about the bonus points. Not not crazy about the bonus points. But they, I've been in a couple leagues that use them, and they're a lot of fun. Okay, mm-hmm. Jeff, this is not me trying to flex my muscles or say Dave Brown is the king of fantasy football. But – Just know the advice that we're sharing with you today comes from the perspective of people who enjoy playing the game and who are pretty good at it. I went to the finals in three of my five leagues last year and won two of them. I've won a couple championships across a couple leagues over the last decade. I'm a pretty good fantasy football player. So even some advice that I may give today might not go with what would be known as mainstream fantasy football thought, but just know. It's worked from time to time, Jeff. It's worked. What about you? What's what's your uh, sort of f- finer or better showings in the world of fantasy football? Uh, I've definitely won a couple of championships over the last couple of years. Um, it, it, sometimes it's a hit and miss, Dave. Sometimes you just have a horrible draft, and yep. that really stinks up your whole season. <laughs> injuries injuries happen all the time. They are so unpredictable, especially with football, probably more than any sport because it's so physical. But uh, I've had definitely my fair share of busts in 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 the draft, and right from there, it, it's kind of hard to recover if your first or second picks don't really fire. So I've been all over the place, but I like to be like you, Dave. I, I think I'm you know one of the upper echelon players in the fantasy world. <laughs> That's why you're our sports reporter. Okay, Jeff, let's get into one of the big debates that rumbles up every year, which is an emphasis on running backs versus wide receivers. You already laid out that depending on the rule settings in your league, there could be some different valuations. If it is a points per reception league, then certainly a wide receiver is going to be more valuable than a running back. But Jeff, this season in particular, as I look at a couple of the rankings across a couple of different platforms and a couple of different rankers, it really feels to me that once you get to the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, the running back depth absolutely goes away. There are still running backs you can draft, 
I just wouldn't want to have to trot them out there week in, week out if I'm dealing with a major injury. So Jeff, this year feels like the kind of year where maybe it's not your first round pick, but certainly three of your first five or three of your first six picks should be to bring in every down, strong caliber running backs on good teams. Yeah, I mean, it it depends, right? I mean, um, with those, if you're going heavy on running backs, you make sure you want to counterbalance that at some point in the draft, hopefully with a couple of wide receivers. The one thing I, I do agree with, Dave, is that you want one of those bell cow running backs, the guys who are on the field for at least three downs. If they can catch passes out of the backfield and get some receiving yards, that is going to amplify their value, just like we're, we're, we're seeing with Jonathan Taylor in Christian McCaffrey. Those are the projected number one and two picks in yeah. fantasy this year. Yeah, and, fair enough. And, yeah. And, that, that, and, and that's exactly why they're going to be the top picks is because not only are they good running backs, but they're good receivers. So it's kind of like two and one right there. Um, and, and those are the types of values you look for in the first, second, third rounds. And once you get past like, you know, those 50 or 60 picks, you're looking at what we call a running back by committee. Uh, something you probably don't want to have on your on your roster because you, sometimes you just don't know who's going to get the carries. And yeah. Therefore, if you're playing a player who is slotted to start but doesn't really get too many snaps, you know that could really be um, uh, detrimental to your weekend to your fantasy team. So, I understand exactly where you're coming from, Dave. Is that sometimes those running backs, those t- uh, top tier running backs. You really want to go out and and grab them early and often. Yeah, there are some valuable guys that are going in the second and third round right now. I'm looking at Gervonta Davis in Denver, a second-year player out of North Carolina who's a very physical runner. He runs super angry. He is going to be splitting some duties early in the season, but I believe by the end of the year he'll have taken that job from Melvin Gordon pretty much fully and completely. Even a player, this isn't really an interesting pick anymore, but Ezekiel Elliott of the Dallas Cowboys, he essentially is their three-down back. He played hurt last year. He's certainly getting a bit older at 27 years old. It feels feels so preposterous (laughs) to say that he's getting older at 27 years old. The Dallas offensive line isn't what it used to be. They also lost a lot of receivers in the offseason, also dealing with significant injuries at the wide receiver position. But that was the number one offense in football last year. Even if it takes a step back, there's still going to be a lot of opportunities for Ezekiel Elliott. There's also a lot of bad defenses in the NFC East. So he's going to get some juicy matchups. And he's a player you might be able to get with a late second round or early third round pick. Not that I want to reveal too much to the people that I'm drafting against this year, but that's definitely a player that I'm looking at as saying, if that's my week in, week out second running back, I'm going to be pretty happy about that. Yeah, I've had problems with Zeke in the past, probably because I was drafting him in the top five. But you're right, Dave, you sort of have to take into consideration that value at that draft position. If Zeke is going with the 30th overall pick, that's not bad at all for a player that could be your bell cow running back. Uh, Again, one of those guys who's not only a good rusher, but is also a good catcher out of the backfield Mm -hmm. as well. So you uh, again, you have to look for those great values um, within the draft. And sometimes it's okay to find players like that, you know, who have maybe fallen a little bit for whatever reason, you got to jump on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, as, as we continue to sort of look down this 
fantasy football rabbit hole, one of the prevailing wisdoms these days is you never want to go early on quarterback and you never want to go early on tight end because the feeling is, well, you can get a more valuable running back or more valuable wide receiver in the first sort of, let's say, one to four rounds. And I'm somewhat okay with that philosophy, Jeff, but I will say this. I do still believe in drafting a quarterback early. It's not necessarily about taking the first quarterback off the board. This year, that's going to be Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, your guy over there. Previously, that's been players like Patrick Mahomes. But I am someone who does believe you still want one of the upper-tier caliber quarterbacks. In years past for me, that has been Josh Allen, who's won me a league. That has been Lamar Jackson, who's won me a league. Last year, it was Justin Herbert who won me a league. So it's one of these situations where you want to be making sure that you're doing the appropriate evaluations, finding talented players on good offenses and saying, listen, it's not going to be my second or third round pick on this quarterback, but I am going to make sure to get one of these guys who can score 35 or 40 points in a week when I'm really struggling somewhere else or I'm in a big matchup, they can push me over the top. Yeah. Yeah, the quarterback is basically your moneymaker. They put up the most amount of points typically in any given week unless a wide receiver or running back has just a ridiculous Yeah, week. it goes bonkers. Um, goes bonkers. But usually it's a quarterback who puts up those uh, ample amount of points. My general rule of thumb here, Dave, is that for my first three picks, I go running back or wide receiver – Anytime after that, I think it's fair game. Now, like you said, I don't think I'm going to be drafting the first quarterback off uh, off the uh, charts unless it's great value, of course. But typically, I think that sweet spot is between rounds four and six, maybe seven, depending on how deep your league is. And you're right. I mean, uh, you can still get a guy like Justin Herbert probably in the fourth round this year, depending on how heavy players go um, with quarterbacks in your draft. So, you know, you, you got to find, again, that value of, of that quarterback. And you've got to really do your due diligence and see um, – Typically, I like looking at younger quarterbacks. Um, Herbert is a perfect example who has just continued to ascend year in, year out. So I might value him higher than somebody who's maybe going to descend. Um, So you you got to look at that as well. Um, But typically, rule of thumb, quarterbacks, um, anytime between rounds four and six is usually good. Although, Dave, like I said, your league settings, if you have two quarterback leagues, First of course, quarterback of course. is definitely not out of the equation. I would also suggest even if you go get one of those one of those top guys, you probably want to make sure you're getting a decent backup as well, just in case of injury, yeah. because you've given that high draft value to that first quarterback. I'm not saying you'd have to go spend your next pick on a quarterback. I'm just saying no. when it comes time to be around pick 100 in the draft, little Aaron Rodgers won't hurt yeah. you. Well, he, he might if he misses games for uh, not being vaccinated, but, you know, not, neither here nor there. Uh, Jeff, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, of, of any sort of last thoughts you want to give here. Maybe maybe a value pick that you found yourself yeah. always circling around in regards to later in a draft or the guy who you're always looking at on the board yeah. and saying, I want him. So I think I have two points here, and they sort of tie together. One player that I'm really liking in the draft, and it's kind of weird to say, um, is DeAndre Hopkins. I know he's suspended for the first six games, but, and here's where this second point comes in, look at your league settings. If you have an IR spot or some other spot where you can just throw DeAndre Hopkins on basically free of charge, you might as well do it because once he comes back in week seven, 
he can start putting up monstrous numbers. Like yeah. this is a guy who would probably be one of the top five wide receivers in the league. And if you can get him, I think he's going anywhere from around 80 to 100 in most teams or uh, most leagues. So you got to look for that value. Use those IR spots if you have them available. So uh, he's kind of a guy that I'm looking at as a sleeper. And if you can abuse those IR spots, go for it. <laughs> yeah, he's been money for years and years as a receiver. But now all of a sudden, I wonder, getting popped for using the roids, I wonder if maybe there was something uh, helping his cause along the way for some of those years. Jeff, I've also got a wide receiver in that range who I find myself targeting regularly. Now, there have been some injury issues uh, in the preseason for him. So he's maybe dropped a little bit further down my rankings. But Devontae Smith, the second-year wide receiver out of Alabama playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, I have a lot of faith in that offense. I think Nick Sirianni is a really good coach. I think their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, is actually a little underrated. He was a great college quarterback, and he actually showed some flashes last year of being a pretty good NFL quarterback. I think overall that offense is going to be good. They also went and got a a true number one receiver. Now you might say, oh, Dave, but that means Devontae Smith is going to be the number two receiver on that team. That's not good. No, no, that's great. That means he's going to be getting to play against the second cornerback. He's not going to be facing double coverage. He He's a man who may be running a little bit wild there in secondaries this year. And the one thing he was always really great at doing at Alabama was getting open. So if you're not covering him with the attention and care that he deserves, he's going to be a nice, juicy target for Jalen Hurts. So I'm keeping an eye on the injury that we're seeing with uh, with him right now, but he's certainly someone I'm looking at this weekend and next weekend as my drafts get underway. And Jeff, I do want to backtrack to our running back conversation for a moment. There is one player who's playing for the Arizona Cardinals, James Conner, who led the league in rushing touchdowns last year. People assume he's not going to score as many. I kind of agree with that, but he's dropping in drafts into the third and fourth round. That's one of those running backs that I'm looking at and saying, okay, maybe if I draft that wide receiver in the first round, he of the three running backs yep. I'm going to take in a row perhaps after that, he's one of those guys that I'm looking at and saying, okay, I've now got my three solid running backs, and now I can let the board come to me for the rest of the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like a, a safety pick there, if you will. Dave, one last thought. Yes. And it's kind of like for, I guess, maybe more so beginners, but don't be that goof who drafts kickers or special teams in like the seventh round. Wait to the last two picks no, to pick your no, kicker disagree, and disagree. special teams. I, oh, okay, okay, on, okay. I agree with you about don't draft them in the seventh round, but I actually think, Jeff, there's some merit to drafting your kicker and your defense in the third to last and second to last round and using your last pick for a deep sleeper, just because this way you make sure you get the kicker that you want in the offense you want and the defense you like in my case, oftentimes based on divisional matchups. I I think I would go with kicker over special teams, but Dave, I'm streaming my special teams. If anybody is playing like Jacksonville or one of those teams, (laughs) that's not going to be very good. I'm going to pick up that defense if they're available. Jeff, this was a ton of fun, man. Thank you, and best of luck on your drafts here. You too, Dave. See ya. That's Jeff Ryman from the Sports Desk talking a little fantasy football, helping you win your league. I'm telling you, follow my advice. You're going to win some championships. Get them rings. Let's go back to Grace Scofield for the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. In this second hour, we start in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy with a 40% chance of showers early this morning, 
than a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 26 degrees. In Charlottetown, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon with a risk of a thunder shower and a high of 26 degrees. In St. John, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of drizzle early this morning and a 30% chance of showers this afternoon with a risk of a thunder shower late this afternoon and a high of 27 degrees. In Quebec City, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 22 degrees. In Toronto today, a mix of sun and cloud, becoming cloudy this afternoon with a 60% chance of showers later this afternoon, and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, with a high of 27 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, there's some showers ending this afternoon, then cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and a high of 20 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny today with a high of 25 degrees. In Regina, it's also sunny today with a high of 25 degrees. Over to Lethbridge, Alberta, where it's mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 19 degrees today. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny with a high of 26 degrees. In Whitehorse, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 17 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, it's sunny today with a mix of sun and cloud late this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well with a high of 31 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it is sunny today with a high of 26 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Stephen Scott will share a special update on Double Tap Canada and their programming this fall. But first, there's been a whistleblower complaint against Twitter. Here's Michelle Franzen with Tech Trends. Twitter's former head of security, Peter Zatko, has filed a complaint with the SEC, FTC, and the Justice Department, accusing company executives of, quote, egregious deficiencies in Twitter's security. There could be security problems with someone's private tweets or private information on this app. Jessica Malugan, director of the Center for Technology and Innovation, says Twitter may be a bellwether for broader privacy issues at big tech firms. Twitter might just be the most prominent example of that because of all the things that are happening around it. The attention to big tech in general and of course to Elon Musk bid to buy. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have raised antitrust and content moderation concerns about big tech, but Malugan says security vulnerabilities deserve just as much attention. Whether or not your data is safe online for users is a real practical concern, I think, for a lot more people. With Tech Trends, I'm Michelle Franz and ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Big changes are brewing around Double Tap Canada. Of course, you can find that show on AMI-audio, 7 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. But I'm telling you, some fun stuff's coming 
down the pipeline just for you. Stephen Scott is here to tell you all about it. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. I'm in a good mood, full of beans today, and I'm always excited when I get to talk to you, especially when you hold some exciting news. Stephen, what's going on with Double Tap Canada? Well, look, you know, Dave, I frankly feel, and I'll be totally honest with you, I don't think we talk enough on Double Tap uh, on AMI-audio, and I think we need more time to do it. Um, So for that reason, we thought, you know what, let's just take over the airwaves of AMI-audio. I thought that was a good idea. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, but I think it's a brilliant idea. So I think we should be available daily to the audience. What do you think? I think daily makes a lot of sense to me. I I know I always want to hear more from you, Mark and Sean, on the day-to-day. So... Is this coming to fruition? Who'd you talk to? Did you make some moves? Well, I spoke to Mr. F, uh, and Mr. F says that it is okay. Mr. F is, by the way, fabulous. And, that, that's, that's what the F stands for. It's Mr. Fabulous. I, it also, uh, and depending on the first show, it may also stand for fired uh, by making this decision. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, no, I had a chat with, with our good man, Mr. F, the, the wonderful head of uh, AMI Audio, and I said, listen, you know, we should do this. We should, get, we should go daily in. He, he said no, and I said, but, you know, I've got that dirt on you um, and that tape, um, and I can use it against you. And he said, oh, yeah, that's a good point, so let's go daily. Um, <laughs> a little bit of extortion and blackmail. That's how, that's, how the, that's how the media industry was built. Absolutely. We're just, we're just continuing tradition, Dave. Uh, so, yeah, we will be here. So this is the thing. So as of next Thursday, so a week today, we will be here Every single day from a noon Eastern. I apparently say that in a strange accent. Noon. Noon. I think that that's why they picked that time, just to make it <laughs> me sound ridiculous while saying it. Uh, but yes, noon Eastern, 12 noon Eastern, every single day, bar Sundays, because we have to rest at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though, so even though, even the here. Lord, even the Lord had to rest, Stephen. Even the Lord Himself had to rest, and uh, so you know we are doing the same on a Sunday. But yes, Monday to Friday. It will be me and Sean Priest gracing the airwaves um, between uh, Monday and Friday. And then on a Saturday, it'll be myself and Mark Aflalo. Oh, nice. Uh, so we're going to be splitting up a little bit, giving Sean a day off, which I, I have to say, I'm not overly keen on this yeah, idea. It's going to slack now. It's going to get He's going to get real lazy if you're giving him that day off. You know, I'll be honest. You know what it is? We gave him the Sean of the Shed podcast, and I think that he's I think he's getting a little bit egotistical, if yeah, I'm honest. Yeah, it should be called Sean of, Sean of the Diva podcast now that he's got that uh, got that feed all to himself, you know, the Sean, and, and great commercials too. Uh, Steven, <laughs> you guys do deliver a great show. You know, we're, we're putting our, our tongue in our cheek a little bit. We're being yeah. a little facetious. We're being a little sarcastic, but you guys really do deliver a fun show that sometimes talks about technology and sometimes (laughs) talks about other nonsense. I'm curious, as you guys are thinking about going daily here, how might that change the way you guys execute the show? Um, I think, well, first off, it gives us a chance to really focus in on specific topics, specific Mm. areas, specific tutorials. I think, you know, with an hour a week, you have an amount of time to get through quite a lot. And you know, oftentimes, especially with the way we think about things, you know, for example, say there's a big event that happens, you need time to digest that information. And then you start to realize that, oh, wow, this product is even more accessible than I thought. And I can't wait till next week to tell the audience. And you think, I've got to wait a week. Uh, and it, sometimes you just want to jump on and do it. And I think that that, that is kind of part of the thinking is that we, we can really focus in on specific topics, specific discussions. Because look, let's be honest about it. Technology 
and we make the joke about you know it's a tech show honest um and we occasionally <laughs> do talk about tech but the truth is that technology is part of everyday life and it's it's kind of seeped into every area of our lives yes. so social media is technology right but it's how impactful is social media and what does it mean? What is the metaverse and what's the ethics around AI and artificial intelligence? There's so many great topics to discuss. And I think that we, we really are in a place where could, could we have done this show maybe five, six, even 10 years ago? I don't know. Not every day. But with the amount of tech news, the amount of implementation of technology into our everyday lives, blind or not, there's a heck of a lot to talk about. So I think this is the, this is the time to, to bring a show like this about. So one of the reasons why I love working in live broadcasting, now I know you guys aren't qu quite going live, you're going live adjacent, right? There's going to be live a slight adjacent, delay yeah. here because of all the potty mouth blue language that you and Sean like to use. How but dare one, you? <laughs> but right, one yeah. of the reasons why I like working daily and like working live is because there's also the opportunity to, to react to some stuff in real time, right? That yeah. Sometimes it's even less digestion. It's a chance to actually truly react to things. So for example, yep. last Friday, Friday, we had Apple revealing the security flaw. This week, we've had the Twitter whistleblower complaint that we just played a story about in our Tech Trends segment. There's always something about the ethics of AI. There's always a new hardware or a new software or a new update that's worth exploring and reacting to. Because as you said, technology is at this point omnipresent in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the, it's an exact example of that. So when we go to air and we will be live to tape every single day and it is live to tape, we don't edit the show. We kind of make jokes about that, but uh, we really don't edit the show. Some people say we should. Um, I, I don't think we should. I think it's fine. Uh, I don't want it to be done any other way because I love the live aspect of it. That's that's why I, I came from live radio. That's my thing. I was always doing live radio. Um, but I'm in the UK, so noon Eastern is 5 p.m. That's my I, I eat at that time, and then I sleep shortly afterwards. So that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Stephen, you and I eat like snakes. We eat, and then we have to digest and lie down for a little bit. <laughs> I do for about a month. Um, but yeah, I just feel that you know the opportunity to talk about so many great topics, and we will do that. So the show will be in two parts, uh, two segments over the hour, and in the first segment it is going to be really just a catch up with the audience, see what feedback we're getting. Uh, you know, react to that and then move on to whatever the big topics are of the day, whatever the news of the day is in terms of technology. And then in the second half of the show, it's going to be focused on, you know, maybe a guest or a topic or a tutorial or a discussion, whatever it might be. There is so much we're going to be talking about, David. It's going to be quite an exciting show, I think. Well, Stephen, give us a reminder one more time about when that change is going to occur and what time it's going to happen. And I wouldn't have noticed that you said noon weird until you mentioned that you say noon weird. I know, I know. But everyone tells me it's noon, is weird noon. I, I can't say it any other way. It's just my voice. <laughs> don't, don't bully me. Um, but yes, it is noon Eastern um, on air. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, dude, it's, no, dude it's, so, it one. it's so strange, dude. You could have said noon a million times and I never would have noticed. But until you brought attention to it, I was like, that does sound a little odd. Uh, so yes, uh, uh, Double Tap will be on air every single day from Thursday uh, although I think we get Labor Day off. So that actually works out quite nicely. We're on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then off for a day, which is kind of nice. Oh, right on. Um, but uh, yeah, so we will be there from uh, September 1st, noon Eastern, on AMI Audio, shortly after on a podcast. Uh, all you have to do is subscribe, search for Double Tap On Air. Uh, if you can't find us, just search Double Tap or Double Tap On Air in your provider. Although I imagine most of you will already be subscribed. If you're not, then we, we have words to yeah. have. Clearly. Yeah, if, if you're not, if you're not, we don't want you. 
that's not true. We definitely still want that's you to not, subscribe. That's not that's quite not true. Totally no, come true, on. We're gonna, but... We want to get the numbers up here. We're, we're trying to compete against <laughs> Kelly and Co. Yes, come on. Yeah, I know. Um, we're, all, we're, all, we're all chasing that dragon. We're all chasing <laughs> that dragon. Um, Stephen, before I let you go, I do want to ask you a question that relates to our daily poll at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And it has to do with tipping. Now, the last time I was out there in the mm-hmm. old world, bearing in mind this was about 17 years ago, I was in the old world over there in Europe, there was certainly a different culture around tipping. So before I ask you the question directly, I'm just curious, has tipping culture crept more into European culture in the last 15 years, 17 years since I've been? Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 not everywhere, but it has become part of it. I think it's always been part of it to some degree. It's just in a different way. I think that's maybe where we're going here. Um, because in, in this country, in the UK, uh, it certainly is part of, you know, going out for a meal, you will tip the waitress who serves you all night or whatever. Um, but I think it's a bit different to the way I've experienced it in the States and in Canada. Yeah. So the actual specific question at AMI audio on Twitter, accessible media Inc on Facebook is, have you noticed tipping uh, more companies and services asking you to tip yes or no? So I think you kind of laid it out right there, but even then, Stephen, are you starting to notice that maybe there's even more places in Scotland beyond sort of the server at the restaurant or the bartender at the bar asking for a tip? Is it starting to maybe pop up at the barber shop or popping up when uh, the mechanics having a look at the Stephen Mobile? <laughs> well, I think when it comes to it, the difference between the UK and I think certainly in the States and Canada that I've experienced is that it's almost expected in in your part of the world, whereas here it's not. It's not expected here. And I have to say that was kind of, I mean, I was flung out of a restaurant in New York for not tipping. Uh, and it was only because I didn't tip at the point that I was supposed to tip, which I didn't realize there was a specific point. I just thought when you left the table, you did it. Because uh, that's what we do, we, you know, you, and you put some cash down on the table. They didn't want that. They wanted it by card, and they wanted it at the point of sale, essentially. And I was like, well, I'm not doing it that way. That's not how I do it. And then the manager rather helpfully flung me out the restaurant. Um, I wish he'd done it before I'd paid the bill. But, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But I, I, it's, it's a different culture, I think. Uh, we're seeing a little bit more of it here where there's a bit of a more of an expectation. What they do instead in this country, I think they do the same where, where you are, is that they have service charge. So you'll have a charge added to the bill. Um, but I fight that at all costs. Because, yeah. you know, I'm a, I am a tight Scotsman. I'm that, sorry, I am. And I refuse to give you any money. The stereotypes have to hold true. Unless you're unless you're a piece of technology, Stephen doesn't want to shell out the money for it. That's just how with it fruit, goes. With a fruit logo on you, not a Google logo. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, S- Stephen, listen, man, this is great news about the expansion of Double Tap. We're really excited to hear, brother. So all the best Thanks. to you. And the next time we talk to you, you're going to be a daily superstar. Oh, well, I don't know about that. We'll be daily at least. We'll be the, we'll be daily at least. Stephen, thanks, boss. <laughs> thanks, man. Take care. That's Stephen Scott, one of the hosts of Double Tap Canada. You can find the Thursday show at 7 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. But then next Thursday, September the 1st, going on air weekdays at noon Eastern time every single day. I want to remind you, other AMI-audio programming that you have to check out. It's The Pulse with Joey DeGupta. On AMI-audio, this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Joita will conclude her three-part series profiling this year's inductees into the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. This week, she speaks with friend of AMI, Greg Westlake. That's The Pulse, Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we find out what's trending with Grace Scofield. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's welcome in Grace Scofield once again to find out what's trending. Grace, what caught your eye out there on social media? Something that caught my eye today, I'm sure that most people remember, in 2020, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna were killed in a helicopter crash Mm. in Los Angeles County. Yesterday, the jury verdict was announced for Vanessa Bryant's lawsuit over the um, pictures that were shared by L.A. County um, employees. Mm -hmm. So after the crash, county employees were sharing photos among each other with friends and family and others. The photos were of Kobe Bryant's body at the site of the crash, and they were very graphic, so we won't go into any more detail about the photos themselves. we can leave it there for sure, yeah. Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa Bryant, and a spouse of the other people involved in the crash filed a lawsuit against the L.A. County for sharing the photos. Vanessa Bryant testified that knowing the photos were being shared was anxiety-inducing, causing panic attacks, and didn't allow for her or her family to grieve properly. Mm. She fears that she or her other children will one day come across these photos, and it's constantly on her mind. The jury deliberated for four and a half hours before deciding to award Vanessa Bryant $16 million and the other co-plaintiff $15 million. So it is trending today. The general reaction to this has been very supportive of the plaintiffs, uh, saying that justice was served for Kobe and his daughter because these photos were a total invasion of privacy to be shared. And they shouldn't have been shared to begin with. Uh, Some of the reaction is that money, not enough money will ever be enough. Or that, you know, it was Kobe Bryant's widow. She had enough money. Why did she need more money? What's she going to do with it? (sighs) There was also some of that discourse. Like a lot of predictable nonsense. As you would expect on social media. But for the most part, fans of Kobe Bryant have been very supportive of Vanessa's lawsuit for the photos. Grace, we don't don't talk about this a lot, but you're studying journalism. Uh, I didn't study journalism, but journalism was certainly part of the broadcasting degree that I did at Algonquin College. And I certainly have my feelings about journalistic ethics. Now, this isn't strictly a journalism story, but it's become very easy to share pictures, right? The digital world has made it super easy to hit send or click and share this amongst amongst people. And I understand the desire that perhaps existed on that Sunday and Monday to share these graphic images with people. But of course, eventually what happened is it leaked to the media and then the media released it. And that's what Vanessa Bryant's talking about, that the release of these images were traumatizing, which is a terrible, terrible event. I'm kind of curious where you may land on the idea of where photos like this fit into the public interest. Because I'm someone who's always a bit leery of saying something serves nothing to the public interest. But I think in this case, it strictly was voyeurism. Any reason to release these was purely for clicks. Absolutely. There was no point in releasing them. And even that is what one of the L.A. County's attorneys said, is that the people who shared the photos were very decisive on who the photos went to. They never left their personal devices. They never showed them to anybody they didn't know. But they still managed to slip out. And I think that there's a point where... You have to wonder, like, does this actually do anything for anybody? Did anybody need to see this? And no, nobody needs to see a photo of a body. It doesn't matter if it's Kobe Bryant or not. Mm -hmm. You don't need Mm -hmm. to see that. Uh, A lot of news outlets that I've heard, at least, they won't share photos even of vehicle crashes. If there's a visible person in the photo, they won't share them. And I think that that's the best practice because you don't need to invade somebody's privacy like that. Because as much as it is news, it's a traumatic event where somebody lost a life. That's right. Nobody needs to see a photo of somebody who 
lost their lives. I, I do think there's some exceptions that can exist here, right? Like, for example, the video that was released of the George Floyd killing. That that yes. served the public interest yes. for people to see that, to witness that. Um, I think about the image of the Syrian refugee, the child who was found face down on the beach back in 2014 and 2015. Those are powerful images that, like, mean something. But the Kobe Bryant thing was just celebrity voyeurism. That's exactly. all it was. It was only gossip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Grace, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Yep. That's Grace Caulfield letting you know what's trending. Let's bring in Ramya Amuthan to find out what's coming up this afternoon on Kelly and Company at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. Ramya, I'm pivoting from the serious to the silly. Mm-hmm. And I always like doing that with you because I know you enjoy my I know you enjoy my silliness. Last night I was having dinner with our friend and TV technical producer, Bruce Baclarian, and I was telling him about how I really try to enjoy the simple things in life. Well, Ramya, one of those simple things is happening today. I bought some new pillows, and they are on the way. They are going to arrive at my house by the time I get home. You know, I maybe replace my pillows like once a year because I drool a little bit overnight. So at a certain point, you got to do these things. Ramya, simple pleasures. Where do you think getting a new set of pillows ranks in the simple pleasures? Oh, man, I'm seriously rating this high, and I'm not just saying that because I have a couple of lumpy pillows right now that just I never sleep on. They're just here, but they haven't been replaced yet, and I only go for the two newest and uh, (laughs) fluffiest pillows that I have. So I know, like, firsthand how it feels to have really lovely pillows or, you know, how – how much care I put into choosing my pillows when staying over at a hotel, yeah, you know, which yeah. ones have to get tossed away to the bed that's not being used or the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I yeah. once, I once uh, stayed at the same hotel as our, as our boss, Andy Frank, and we walked into our, our respective rooms and we both texted each other. Yep. Does your room have a pillow menu? My room has a pillow menu. You can test which pillows you liked and then text down to the front desk and be like, I need more of pillow get number three. Out. Yeah. That's a bougie hotel. That I is. want to stay there. It wasn't that bougie. It wasn't that bougie. They just had one bougie great pillow feature. experience. Yeah, bougie <laughs> pillow experience. Uh, Ramya, what's coming up on the show this afternoon? All right, we're looking ahead to December with Fern Lullum, Dave, because she wow. wants to give us a way, real head way start. Ahead of the game. I know, I know, but you'll understand why. She wants to give us a head start in preparing for, like, just the mindset and the marketing of the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which happens, which always falls on December third annually. Um, and she wants to talk about it because there's a lot of things to talk about in preparation a couple months away. The Canadian National Blind Hockey Team announced their 2022-2023 roster last week, so we're yeah. going to learn more about that with Luca DeMontis, of course, director of uh, director of hockey operations. That's really fun. And we're also going to talk about, you know, uh, women in hockey and that's becoming really great as well on the scene. Yeah. Uh, And then to round things off in the second hour, we have What in the World with Jeff Ryman, where we flip through some fun and quirky stories. Oh, that's always good stuff. Yeah, that's the really cool next hurdle the the guys at Blind Hockey Canada are tackling, really trying to grow the women's sport. And we saw that at the the big tournament earlier this year in March, where we had the big featured game, which was incredible. So yeah, as that sport continues to grow, making sure that women are getting involved as well, top, top tier. Great work from the organization on that front. Ramya, thank you for this. Thank you, Dave. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, we wrap up the show with some details about our contest giveaway. Only a couple more days to get your entry in. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You know that music. That's usually how we start the show. It's also how we usually end the show. But before I say goodbye to you today, I want to remind you that we are giving away one special box of kitchen goodies to celebrate season two of Dish with Mary. Of course, you know that AMI TV show. Mary Mammoliti showing off some great cooking tips and advice with chefs from all over the country and all over the world. Well, this box features some of Mary's favorites, artisan pizza and pasta flour that's gluten-free, beautiful gourmet red tomato sauce, extra virgin olive oil, not just your virgin olive oil. This is the extra virgin olive oil, some Vancouver sea salt for a little bit of flavor. And then once you've made your beautiful pasta, it's time to cut it up. Well, Mary made sure to throw in a nice little pasta cutter. Looks like a little tiny pizza slicer. It's got the wheel with the serrated edge and the wooden handle. And it'll chop it up real good for you. Get some nice pasta. So how do you enter? You send your favorite recipe or your favorite recipe memory to feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca. You have to get that entry in by tomorrow, August 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.